Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast. This is your host, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. So remember this series, I'm doing a series that honors amazing women in the Enneagram space because there are quite a few and their voices need to be heard. So today I have a very spectacular guest. I met her in 2019, I believe. 18. Uh, it was 18. 2018. I mean, my like you know those pandemic years, they kind of they kind of like run together. Uh, <laughs> so I met her 2018 at an IEA conference and it's one of the most interesting, unique, amazing, hilarious, deep, serious, focused, world-changing, like earth-shattering people I've actually truly met in life. And um I just want to share her knowledge, some of her with you all. So I have the one, the only Mickey Scott Bay on here. Please, please introduce yourself. <laughs> Milton, Milton. I I don't even know what to say about that introduction. Oh my God. Uh, I am Mickey Scott Bay Jones. I have a whole story behind my name and why that's my name, which we can talk about if you want, but I use she, her pronouns. I live in a small Southern town, but I'm actually a Midwest girl whose family's from New Jersey. So I'm from all over from the African diaspora. So I claim that too. And I, you know, I love the Enneagram and I use it as a tool of growth and transformation. Um, I believe it can really help us have more compassion for ourselves and empathy for each other. Um, it helped me really learn to stop hating myself, not just love myself, but to stop hating myself. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. And I am one of those people that does a whole lot of different things. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I have passions Very in true. lots of areas. <laughs> Very true. All right. So let's go intro music and get this thing started. the Enneagram? Are you serious about growing and being liberated? Do you love to learn and grow in a safe community? Well, my Kaizen Community Enneagram program is perfect for you. I teach 12 weekly classes on Thursday nights. I am only taking around 15 people. I would rattle off more details and all the benefits, but I'm pretty sure you would rather read them and get back to this episode. So simply go to kaizen-enneagram-community.mn.co or check out the show notes or find the IG page bio with the link tree or go to kaizencareers.com to find out more information. Learn and grow in safe community with others who love the Enneagram. Sign up while spots are still available. Hope to see you there. Can you tell kind of the audience a little bit about, you mentioned you do a lot, which I know a lot you do. And we were on a call earlier this week and you was like, oh yeah, I did that. And I did that. And I did that. You, we all were looking like, what? <laughs> so can you tell them a little bit more like what all you do 
especially as uh, when it pertains to kind of gravitating around the Enneagram space? Uh, I've been a, or like an activist and change maker before I even knew what that was. I've been trained as a leader since my teenage years. I came up through the YMCA, but got involved in birth work as a doula, childbirth educator, lactation consultant, and um, did some localized work around that. And was the first Black woman that I know of to own a freestanding birth and breastfeeding support center in the Nashville area. Got out of that work, kind of had my own nervous breakdown in that <laughs> that line of work. That's a lot. <laughs> um, and because it does take a lot out of you supporting people as they're birthing humans <sighs> into the world. And then I uh, decided to go to seminary where I was theologically trained by indigenous folks and um, other folks, but uh, that became a new kind of pathway for me. And that's kind of how I actually combined um, my faith or my, you know, interest in the unseen world, the spiritual world, and wanting to do something, you know, wanting to change the world. So that moved me into the movement world. And I really worked a lot in supporting activists, organizers, clergy. Really, I said, oh, these skills I have as a doula, helping people birth something, birth a baby, can be used to help people birth something new into the world. More love, more compassion, more belonging, more justice. And so I became the justice doula and worked with people as as what I call a movement chaplain. And I did that work for a long time. But the Enneagram has always, has been with me for a long time, but I've only recently really started working with it as a main focus of my coaching, my consulting, even my facilitation. I do all of those things. I write and speak. But my main thing is really how do I help people build more sustainable lives, more sustainable work, right? Because so many people are right. taken out by by burnout and by stress. My first book was on burnout and stress in the mother-baby profession. And I just have seen so many of us who are passionate about whatever it is we want to do, especially these these careers or these passions that take so much out of us, you know, they last a few years and they're done because they just can't take it. And so right. I want to help people be able to do the work they love and, and feel passionate about for long, a longer period of time. And so that's really my role. My, uh, my calling is to accompany people. I really think it's the sacred work of accompaniment. And that's not just doing for them or teaching them things, which is part of what the work is of an Enneagram teacher is to teach things, but also to say, hey, the wisdom is inside of you and the answers, you have everything you need. Now let's figure mm-hmm. out how you can recognize that you have everything you need. And, and if you don't have it, mm-hmm. let's figure out how to create it. And I think the Enneagram helps us realize what we have inside of us, the wisdom that we have inside in our head, heart, and body, and yep. helps us like actually tune into that and tune into it with our community too, the people that are around us so that we can figure out, you know, all of our strengths. And so mm-hmm. it's just really, I think it's just something that whether or not you're even saying I'm using the Enneagram, everybody has a head, heart, and a body. So we can always work with these concepts. And I just think it gives us so much to work with. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you dropped so many gems in there, which is so interesting. Uh, you was like, oh, yeah, that was in my first book. Uh, and he's <laughs> <laughs> <was> like, <laughs> that's what we were saying. There's so many things uh, that you're doing and that you do that are really for the people. And I think that's a powerful part of what I, I love so much about your energy. 
because when I met you, like people don't know, like it's it's so interesting, right? So so what's your type? Tell everybody your type real quick, your type structure. <laughs> so it's, the funny thing is when people meet me, especially at conferences, they think I'm a type seven. Yep. All, yep. all the time. They're like, oh my God, you must be a type seven. I'm like, ah, this is conference Mickey. Conference Mickey might be a type seven, but <laughs> oh, Mickey is a type one. So I lead with type one, but I'm a social one. So I think mm-hmm. that that, Maybe that has a lot to do with it. Yes. Okay. So the first time I, I, I saw you at the conference, um, first of all, you know, it's only a few of us people of color there. So it was automatic, like, who is that? You know, I was like, who is that? I feel like you had on like a blue dress. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like it was a blue dress. So I was like, who is that? And you had this like infectious, like light, like fun energy to you. And I was like, oh my goodness, who is this? And as you know, we kind of developed a crew and we kind of went to different ones together and ate together and all this fun stuff. And I just remember one thing that was absolutely incredible. So this is where if someone saw you and they saw the dance that we had when Russ Hudson was DJing, (laughs) they would definitely think you were a seven. Oh boy. Like people don't understand. Like this is, this is what I love about like, and this is going to blend into like the inner work because I have a question about your inner work real quick. But this is one of the beautiful things about it. Like you're a, a social one. We get to the conference. We have like a dance. Like they have like a D- Russ Hudson's DJ yes. and everything. And I'm telling you, y'all, I don't think you understand how incredible Mickey is. Like, so we all were there, you know, in whatever we had on or whatever. Mickey left got suited and booted for a second part, came back and crushed the dance floor and lit it up. I'm telling you, it was incredible to watch. I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, I was like, if she's the one, she has got to be doing any work because I don't know another one who would be like, I'm finna light this dance floor up. You're gonna see me and I'm gonna do it really well. Like, I'm gonna have a good time. So, Well, wait, wait, wait. Here's the thing. Type ones, uh, not everyone, but type ones, are interested in being appropriate. Right. And so I had to go put on the appropriate outfit for a dance party. <laughs> like it's, it, it's, it's not always this stuffy, Oh, ones are button up and they don't want to show any skin. And no, if it's a dance party, look, I'm going to put on my half top, my short shorts. I'm putting on a cute shoe. Like I'm coming to a dance party. So I'm going to be appropriate. Right. So yes. <laughs> that's what it's I- about. It was, oh my goodness, it was, it was great. It was absolutely great. People don't even understand. So when it comes to your inner work, and before we even talk about inner work, because this is one of the ways that I would say I personally maybe notice or evaluate if a person's really doing their work. Like, you know, there's a lot of people who can talk. That's easy. The talk is easy. And to quote unquote, share knowledge is easy. But to see someone who is coaching, who is facilitating, teaching, and um, writing books in this area, to see them walk the walk and do their own inner work means a lot. And that holds a lot of weight with me when I see someone. You're one of those people that that holds a lot of weight when it comes to that. So I want to kind of dive into what what is inner work, first of all? And what is some inner work you're currently doing? Um, and how's that going for you? Yeah. Well, funny you ask, what is inner work? I am writing a book proposal right now. And that's what I'm writing because I'm trying to write my flash 30, which is like you write 30 pages to see if you even want to write a full book on the thing. <laughs> so, and where it led me to was writing about inner work. And that's one of the fun things about writing. You never really know where you're going. You know, I don't know if you experienced that when you write. It's like, 
I'm still writing one. Right, yep. right. It's like, I thought I was writing a chapter on this and look at where we are. Um, so I've been thinking about inner work a lot. And, you know, it's one of those terms or ideas that I think there's a lot of confusion about. It's like, does inner work mean that I have to like sit on a cushion just um, you know, <laughs> for like 20 minutes a day, which, hey, I do that. I have a meditation practice. Um, that's fine. Me too. But I just think that while inner work can be something that pulls you out in a way from your daily life, it is also practices that become infused in in living, right? They can't be pulled out and be separated. Or it can, but it has to be brought back into your life. So it can be anything from mapping out your Enneagram personality or your profile, knowing your type and your essence and your um, defense mechanism and like starting to really understand who you are and how you've developed as a person. That piece is inner work, that knowledge piece. But also so is being able to notice in your body that kind of somatic embodied work of like when you feel your heart begin to race and you start to feel sweaty and you're curious about that. You pause and you're like, oh, hmm, I'm feeling something. This is interesting. What does that mean? Like that moment is inner work, whether you're doing it completely alone or in a group, you know, and that usually happens on the fly. Like you maybe need to know how to practice that before you get into that moment because you won't know what to do. If not, you just start to feel it in your body and then you start to assign meaning to that and you keep going, you know, with whatever reaction you're going to have. So it's, it's like that all of, you know, that and and a ton more are the practices of inner work. And, you know, I, (laughs) that, I mean, I'm doing a lot of inner work right now um, that is body-based partially because I am trying to learn it to help other people, but I have to, I have to do it myself as you know, first and as I'm teaching other people. Right. So I'm, I'm really paying a lot more attention to what I feel in my body. Right. Like mm-hmm. when I start to speak and I, and my, I start to sweat and I feel my heart racing, I pay attention to that. And I'm curious about that. Whereas I used to judge it. I used to yeah. try and suppress it because that's my type structure is like, Oh, why are you do why are you feeling sweaty? Why are you feeling hot in the middle of your body? Why like you're supposed to be cool and calm and you know, you say you want to be a professional speaker or you say you, you know, like doing podcasts. Why are you so sweaty? Why are you so, you know, I would judge myself mm-hmm. and be harsh right. about it and just be like just stop it. Stop doing that. And instead, now I can be like, "Huh. Those are interesting feelings." And I can then have compassion for it. I wonder what that means. Hmm. Does that mean I care about that thing? Does that mean I feel unprepared? Hmm. No, I don't feel unprepared. I'm, I'm, I'm done this before. I'm okay with this. Maybe that means it means something to me and I care about it. And that's not a bad thing. Right. Right. And I can just start to, to work with it and kind of hold it in my hand instead of, just squishing it down which you know for a type one that's we do a lot of Mm -hmm. squish squish all the feelings (laughs) yep (laughs) finding help for your mental and emotional struggles can be challenging 
with so many barriers like cost and even feeling safe looking for a counselor can be tricky, so I know it's hard. And you know the worst part? You really don't have the time or mental space to be trying to figure out how to find a counselor when you're having personal struggles. So thanks to BetterHelp, they are built on making counseling accessible, affordable, convenient, so that anyone who's having struggles in their life can actually get the help they need at any time and anywhere, which is so important, especially now. All the professionals are licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited. And what I love so much about them is that they have a diverse group of counselors with a broad and various amounts of different backgrounds to help all their different clients. If you need some help, try BetterHelp. You can get a 10% off discount from your first month when you go to betterhelp.com forward slash do it. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash D-O-I-T. So I love that so much because we talked we talked like two weeks ago. We talked on the phone about two weeks ago and we kind of talked more about the somatics and like just the the power of it. And just you reminded me of something. You talked about like working on ourselves because we want to work with other people, right? Um, we want to be able to do this work to help other people, but also we have to do the work ourselves, right? To go in, right. to go deep. And so when I was on um, vacation this summer, uh, after I had went through Marion Gilbert's module four and five to be certified to do some somatic work, I had to do it for myself, right? And so I was kind of avoiding it for a while. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know? And so I, I worked on it. Like I worked on myself kind of in the on the vacation one day. And I'm telling you, and this is a little vulnerable to share here, but I was like, I had got to the point where I was like on the floor, like, crying like it was something you know that as a seven is really like strange for me to be able to do yeah and so i was like oh my goodness and then trying to get out of my head and be like dude what are you doing you look crazy right now (laughs) but guess what i'm in this airbnb by myself so i'm good right now like ain't nobody seeing me and so then i heard something outside like creak like a like i thought it was a gate or something i got up so quick i was like oh my goodness i'm good i'm fine but i was like Oh my goodness. I was like, well, I'm glad at least I was able to get there some, right? Yeah. I was able to get to that space. And that's not going to look like that for every single person. But I think the the most important part is to drop into that curious inquiry that you were just talking about. And people can't see it because, you know, it's just audio. But like when Mickey was talking about, okay, checking in with self, having compassion and empathy for self, she had her hand over her heart space. Mm-hmm. And like the just the being able to touch and notice the parts of us that may be in some type of way feeling uh, constricted, restricted, however you want to say it, like whatever a sensation has popped up, yeah. it's, so, it's so important to be curious about because it's trying to give us information like Mickey was saying. So I'm glad you brought that up because it reminded me of something. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I've been trying to work on that. It, it, I looked, it, it was interesting, right? I'm glad yeah. there's no videotape of me doing that, but uh, <laughs> I'm so glad. Oh, something else I want to bring up. So this is, you, you, you also, you're another person who's seen me at one of my most vulnerable moments mm-hmm. in Oakland. Yeah. When that guy, pretty sure he was, uh, I'm not sure, but unhealth. maybe he was homeless. Yeah. He was, in, yeah, he was unhealthy and he was like, he had broke some stuff in one restaurant. He was cursing people out. Pants were like almost at his ankles. Yeah. He wasn't sagging. It's just they were at his ankles yeah. and he probably wasn't in a way. He wasn't having his enough. best day. Right. Far from it. Yeah. And I don't know how you recall the situation because 
I was, we were both in it. And so we had, we, we have different perspectives on it, but it may have been the same thing. So I just remember this and tell me what you remember. I remember I looked at my watch because we were eating at this, was, was it Jamaican food? I think so. Okay. It was really good. I don't yeah. know. It was island food. It was, it was dope because we went there like three or four times. <laughs> but uh, I was looking at my watch and I was like, you know, hoping this guy would like finish up and go ahead and move on because yeah. he was like slamming stuff by cars and things. And he came over to me and was like, you calling the cops? And I was like, no, I'm not calling the cops. And so luckily there was a gate between us. So at least there was some space. But I just remember like one being extremely angry Mm. and extremely compassionate at the same time. Mm. Because one, you were there and I think somebody else. So I felt protective in that moment. Like I need to make sure he doesn't put his hands or do anything to you or whoever else was there. And at the same time, it was this interesting balance because at the same time, I was like, I want to hurt this guy. Mm-hmm. And I can visually, mentally see me hurting this guy because what he's like. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. But I also had immense compassion. Yeah. And eventually he walked away. Right. And then it was like, I don't know how I looked, but it was like you knew to give me a hug. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, oh my goodness. So I was just in this weird space. So I don't know how you recall the situation. I just remember like you were there one of like, it was like a pivotal moment mm. of like, I've never felt immense compassion and immense like wanting to anger at the yeah. same time together like yeah. that. When I left there, I don't know if you knew, but I went back to my Airbnb or whatever. I sobbed oh. in a weird way. Like, cause I suck at sobbing. Like it, I was, it's like the ugliest cry you ever seen in your life. And I was like, you know how you cry? You're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so ugly right now. Like, Oh my goodness. But it, it, I sobbed. So I don't yeah. know. How, how did you experience that whole situation? Well, first of all, I'm so uh, glad to know you sobbed. I know that sounds, <laughs> that sounds weird. No, but it's right. But it's you right. were a, it, I don't know if you fully in that moment did, but you pr- that probably allowed you to complete the stress cycle because you had you had an activation and you had a rush of adrenaline because you were prepared to act if you needed to act. True. Um, and I and I witnessed you having an immense amount of restraint and actually mm-hmm. de-escalating the situation because you could have escalated. Right? We can all escalate or de-escalate True. in a situation, and you did everything you could in that moment to de-escalate. And because I think you, you knew it wasn't about you. Like it's not, you know, and to go somewhere and then like have a release, you know, it was crying work, shaking works. Sometimes releases are even like burping. (laughs) Like there are lots of different ways to have a somatic release. And, and when we aren't able to complete the stress cycle by crying or letting it out in some way, then that's when, it starts to churn inside of us and turn against us, right? Because our our, our um, nervous systems are designed to have an activation, have a response, and then come back down, complete the stress cycle. And so you were actually able to complete the stress cycle, and that's that's really good news. That means that you will have less of it to deal with later, not to say that event still would. I think that's probably why you can talk about it right now mm. without it being a highly activating event you might be feeling a little bit in your body but not like you would if you had not had that right. ability to go back and cry so that that's like a huge lesson i mean like for you to share this right now for people on the podcast that that shows a completed stress cycle which we that's what we need to have in order to for events not to traumatize us like to be something that right. we can look back and and understand and make meaning of without it being just purely a traumatic event. That's what 
because stress is, is going to happen. That was a stressful event. It didn't become traumatic because you were able to fully complete the stress cycle. So that, that's the first teaching out of that session or out of that experience. Um, yeah, I remember being somewhat far away from you. I wasn't like right next to you. I feel like Zara was right next to you. I was like away, away is away. And then, so it took me a minute to see what was happening. And I still, I was just kind of like observing because I didn't completely know what was happening. And I also had the thought, which I don't know if you had, because we talk about contextualizing the Enneagram. So we also have to contextualize our experiences. I, like, even though we were in Oakland in that moment, I feel like I still at least had this, like, how many black people are around? What's happening? Like, you know, when you have to, (laughs) it's like, Yep. This one black person is having a bad day and is obviously not in the in their right mind and faculties. But now are are people going to be like all the black people around here? You know, it's that weird right. thing where we have to like yep. take responsibility for each other, but we don't really have to. But it's the way we, it's the conditioning and and so that also is like, is this? I don't know if you were thinking. Now people think this is two black men that are about to be in a fight, and I'm not trying to fight. Like what? <laughs> So I didn't know if you were navigating that as well, right? Like here you are trying to de-escalate, but if say police come up, they just gonna think it's two That's right. Negroes trying to fight each other, you know, mm-hmm. and act accordingly as the way they yep. can act. So it just there you're navigating not only your internal feelings, like you said, anger and compassion, plus the cultural of like are there cops around? Are they going to think we're trying to get into it? Or I'm da, 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 like, and trying to protect friends that you care about and women that you care about. Like, so navigating all of that in the same time in one body is a lot. And it was, I could like tell that there was a lot coursing through you in that moment. And I think that's why and I can't remember if I offered you a hug because I do try to like often ask like, you know, and not assume that what's people need. But sometimes it's like, you know, you just are like, okay, right. I got to step in with some, you know, um, some comfort measures or whatever. But even that you saying that you had both of those things in you, um, I'm doing a lot of learning right now around kind of parts work, this mm. idea of, of somatic parts work internal family systems, which is a weird name for it, but basically it just means we all have different parts inside of ourselves, which I think is a great, you know, companion to the Enneagram because we have, you know, we're not just our type, right? Everybody's saying that now, right. not just your type, you're not just your type, and you're not just one type. Great. I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> no one was saying that a few years ago, but. Showing. Right. But it, it's helpful to realize like, you're not trying to destroy your type to become your essence. And you're not trying to get to the point where you're like floating around and you're only your true essence inner self and your your type disappears into the distance and your defense mechanism has melted away and you never, ever see it. And only your holy idea exists. Like, come on. You're just like, I know, right? We are, know, we are right? different. We have a lot of different parts inside of us. And so you have the compassionate part. You have the, you know, the part of you that could see this man and be like, Bro, I've had some bad days too. I I get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. like like if five things have been different in my life, I could be I could be you. Like, you know, just like you have the compassionate part and you have the like, what are you doing? Like just I want to tackle you to the ground, right? Like mm-hmm. and we have those in us at the same time. And that's not weird or bad or dysfunctional. It's actually just how we are as people. And so you can have the like 
parts of your type structure. Like for me, I have a judging part that's always pretty active and I'm looking at people and things and I can tell what's wrong. And I have the part inside me of my essence that is content with how, you know, my friendships are or who are content with the work that I'm doing in the world or whatever. Like I can have both things at the same time. And when we can notice that and hold that, that can be really helpful instead of always be in this like almost forced harmonizing, you know, like we, that's, that's oppression when we're like only one thing can exist. I think it's closer to integration when we allow all of it to exist. And like you said, kind of remain curious about it instead of trying to fix it. Like inner work, work with the Enneagram is not about fixing ourselves. It's more about accepting ourselves. Mm. Mm. That's that's a word right there. That's I mean, because for those on the journey of inner work, especially when you get started, even I don't, even when we're doing it now, there's a especially when we first approach it, I think we take our type structure straight into trying to do our inner work, like the same lens. It's like we're taking the same thing that's kind of um, got us in some of these predicaments. We're taking it back in, like, this is going to work, right? I'm going to do this. So I'm going to be excited for this inner work, right? Like, you know, as a seven. And then I get there, I was like, this is not that exciting right now. Oh, no, this is actually sad. You know, this is actually painful. Oh, my goodness. So I, I love how you mentioned that because I think a, a big a big part of it is that ability to not only go inside, right, but also to say, Okay, yeah, I know I'm not my I know I'm more than my type, right? I, I know this. But not only that, how can I make sure I in, be inclusive of all the parts of me? How can I accept mm. these parts of me? Cause that changes every that changes the whole game, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So we stop trying to battle that. So how does that connect to because something that you're very serious about, and I don't know if you mentioned this yet, but to the audience, but Mickey is is a coach, Enneagram coach as well. I don't know if that was ex- like explicitly mentioned so far, <laughs> but as you could tell, even in this session, she was like, all right, first learning point here. You completed the stress cycle. So I don't know if you all know that, but she's a beast coach, by the way. So, all right. So something that you're really serious about and you're passionate about with not only coaching that you do and working with people and teaching, but it's resilience. Mm-hmm. So how does resilience play into exactly what you've been talking about before? Yeah, well, I think we're in a a weird, uh, I don't know if it's weird, but a weird space right now where like resilience is kind of getting a bad rap. <laughs> you know, people are like, right. I don't want to be resilient. I just want the world <laughs> to be softer. I'm like, okay, but also like mm, climate change, racism, like things are not necessarily going to get softer anytime soon. So uh, like the world is just going to keep worlding. Like we, you know, that's the reality. And even if you live the most cushiony, soft life, which basically means you're rich, even yeah. if you're Oprah or Beyonce, someday someone you love or pet you love is going to die. There will be something out of your grasp. Um, you will feel disappointment. You will have a bad day. I was listening to something the other day about Meghan Markle and how um, when she was pregnant with Archie, I think they, that she was on the verge of suicide. Like she was clear headed 
and and mm. seriously thinking about how she could end her life because of how terrible it was dealing with the royal family and 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 the press in the UK and all of that. This is literally a woman who has all of the money, could call up anyone and get anything on the planet she wants, is living in extreme luxury, and still was in that mind space. So it's not always, you know, all of us are going to face stress. And even in that, like in that case, she's facing trauma, which stress and trauma, we separate them out, but it's really just a kind of a continuum. I think when it gets into the trauma realm is when you feel like you don't have any choices. Lack of choice and agency is where we start to feel, where it starts to kind of feel like trauma and and become trauma. So resilience is really about um, how do we have sustained well-being? How do we, it's not just about a bounce back. Um, That's part of it, right? But what are the, the supports, both internal and external, that help us deal with the, the stressors in our lives, the pain points, the things that are going to come up and disrupt what feels like a good, harmonious day, life, whatever. So, you know, the Enneagram helps us with resilience because we can, the more we know ourselves, one, we know what we need. Right. Um, and so that just that self-knowledge piece is going to help you you know, know what makes you feel well-resourced, right? And how you bring more resource to you, right? Like a, a type five might need more alone time to be fully resourced. And so how do you then make that happen? How do you, how do you arrange your life? How do you talk to your loved ones? How do you communicate with other folks that you need a lot of alone time? And then how do you develop relationships so that they don't think it, it's, personal that you don't want to be with them, but that's right. part of you resourcing yourself. How do you get the information you need to feel resourced, right? So that is one way that you can keep your resource level high so that you feel resilient. So you are able to handle the stress when someone asks something of you as a five. So you don't have to double down into your type structure. You're able to just be more of your true self, have more access to that to the understanding that you know that you know what you need to know and that the, that mm-hmm. knowledge will come to you. Right. So it's that kind of thing that we like re- resilience doesn't have to be about just being able to take more shit from the world. Like that's not, right? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not saying that people should just be able to be mean to you because you're resilient. Right. Like, Ooh, you're resilient. You can take it. That's, that's so not what it's about. You know, and, and it comes from, I mean, I'm also doing a deep dive on resilience right now. And there are, there are like all these people who study resilience, you know, and study it on different mm-hmm. forefronts and um, in different situations and different cultural contexts. And I think it's just kind of come to mean you can deal with a lot of bad things in your life. And that's not really what it is. It's, it's just right. really more about how do we, res- how, how are you resourced so that you can deal with mm-hmm. the stress that you're getting in your life? Which some of that is, how do we take away some of the stress? Absolutely, right? Like right. some people, they become more resilient when they have more money. Because if you're super poor, yep. it's hard to be resilient because you just, you're always putting out fires, right? Yeah. Like you don't even get the chance to do things like go take a walk and have na- and experience nature and and breathe and, and move your body. And so those those pieces that actually can increase your physical, emotional, and spiritual resilience are not even available to you because you're just 
poor and working and tired all the time. Yeah. Right. So that's where like, yes, <laughs> increasing people's wages and salary, which is now a cultural societal thing relates to somebody's resilience. So it's, it's so multifaceted. And so it's not just about work with Enneagram or inner work to build your resilience. It's about your material conditions. It's about changing society. All of those things need to be factored in when we're talking about resilience. What I'm hearing is that it's having the resourcefulness and having it and having a knowledge of what resources are available to you or that you possibly can connect to in order to deal with things that come in life that are stressful a or end up being traumatic. Yeah. Is that Yeah, okay. that's it. I mean, it's it's that's why like something like asset mapping which is used by mm. a lot of organizers and uh, you know, community leaders, right? Like that's really resilience building. Like Can you can you share what that is for for So audience? like asset mapping is is figuring out what, you know, instead of going into a community and being like, here's all the things that are wrong. This is these are all the deficits of a community. And you can also do it individually, asset map your life, right? Like right. instead of going in and being like, here's all the terrible things about my life, which is fine. Like I always tell people I have to cry about it first and then I can do it, like whatever it is. And so sometimes, you know, you go to straight to your deficits and that's fine. But asset mapping is really saying, what are all the things we have? What do I already have? And sometimes until you do that, you don't actually know the things you already have. You know, if you if you're doing asset mapping in a community, yeah, you may it may be clear that we don't have, you know, streets that are well paved, right? We have uh, we don't have a grocery store in this community, whatever. But maybe you have this network of grannies who like keep the neighborhood together, right? Everybody's always sitting on a porch. They like are they have eyes, like they know who's who. That's an asset for that community, right? The granny network. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you might <laughs> the granny right? network, right? Like that's I like that. That's something you can put on that map, right? And like for an individual, you know. Again, it may be like, oh, I don't have, you know, my bank account's really low. But if you, as you start to map out those assets, you're like, but you know what? I went to school with so-and-so who's now a financial manager. Maybe I can talk to them about how I can maximize some things or, or just an accountant or, you know, and it's like, yeah, you don't always know if those people are going to help you or whatever. But when you can map out your assets, be them actually like things or people, relationships, you can start to see where you have more than maybe you thought you had. And mm -hmm. that's, that's easily a resilience practice or something you can use to see the spot spaces where you already have lots of resources, where you're already pretty resilient and places mm -hmm. where you might need to actively build some resilience by infusing some resources. I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, and, Something else that I wanted to ask you about, because you're doing some really good work with the narrative tradition. Um, and so I, I I really wanted to kind of hear from you. What are some things you're doing? Because you, like you said, you were basically born an activist. Like they, they like you, they trained you, but you were born an activist. Let's be honest. Um, so, so, so moving and changing and being a social dominant instinct type you naturally gravitate towards changing structures, organizations. Like, so one thing I know that you're a part of is the narrative tradition right now. Can you share a little bit what you're doing um, with the narrative tradition and what the narrative tradition is actually trying to do? Yeah. 
So shout out to my first teacher, Dr. Deborah Uten. I first learned at the School of Conscious Living, which she's narrative trained and has been involved with narrative folks for a long time. She was really good friends with Dr. David Daniels. But then I went on to, um, and I certified with her in 2019, I think. And then I went on to do the full teacher certified, certified teacher program with the narrative Enneagram and just finished that certification in 2022. Jumped in <laughs> with not only, you know, I, I wanted to go through the whole certification process because I do like that it's not a phone it in certification. Like with the narrative Enneagram, if you go all the way through to certified teacher or practitioner, there's an internship involved. And so that internship is partly about doing your own work because you're doing your own self-examination as you're learning to do typing interviews and panels. You meet with a coach that really helps you look at everything from your questions in panels and interviews to like, um, how did that feel for you and what felt good and what do you feel like, you know, you're still, uh, you still have as challenge areas, like stuff like that. But just like all of these teaching streams that have developed in the United States, they're white dominated, hetero dominated. They're just, I mean, this, the narrative tradition grew out of, you know, psychologists and kind of um, mystical spiritual teachers in Berkeley and like that whole thing. Right. Right. And <laughs> so there are limitations to that. You know, they have been doing things in a particular way for, you know, uh, I don't know how long it's been, maybe since the seventies mm-hmm. or eighties. And so there are things they don't know. There are things that are just part of whiteness and like, the way they do things that they are starting to realize don't make for an inclusive, you know, community for everybody. And uh, they have a long way to go, but they, uh, you know, the narrative Enneagram has decided to really take this on and have a DEI B initiative to actually have their board working on DEI B stuff. What? What's DEIB? Oh. Break it down for them, for the audience. I mean, you know, because you have you yeah, have training, <laughs> um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, and so, you know, on the board and leadership level, they're doing some work. They're also trying to diversify the teachers, but, you know, it takes time to train people into being on faculty. But really, uh, they made some big commitments, as did many, you know, post-George Floyd's murder. So now's the time to see if it's going to really, if they're really going to do it. So uh, they brought me in and I'm working with Satoya Foster and Erlina Edwards. Erlina is the uh, board president. Satoya is their program director uh, to black women. And me also as a black woman, we are doing some listening circles. They've done some of this before, um, maybe in a more informal capacity, but now we are really trying to get some you know, a couple of learning cir- listening circles where we can really hear from folks who have been involved with the narrative Enneagram, folks of color, and get down to asking some of those precise questions around curriculum, experience in the classroom, going through certification or not. Because, you know, we did the session, people can watch on my YouTube um, channel, <laughs> <laughs> on a kind of Barriers, barriers to certification for people of color, for marginalized folks at the last Enneagram Summit. So you and I have been talking about this for a while. Um, and in yeah. that conversation, we were talking with Trent, at who's, you know, 
what president of IE? I don't know what yep. his title is. IE okay. president. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think people are having this conversation, but for the narrative Enneagram, it's like, okay, so what's, what's the deal? Why are we not certifying as many uh, people of color? You know, uh, I, I, I don't know what the breakdown is with other, you know, kind of tra- historically oppressed groups, but part of the problem, not just with narrative, but pr- I'm pretty sure this is the case with IEA and with other organizations. Most of them haven't been even asking for years. They don't, there's no demographic yep. information. <laughs> we yep. don't know. You know, yep. we can look around the room at a conference or a training and, and see <laughs> that there are, you know, oh, I, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, all right, 10 of us. Like we can visually track, um, right. not that you can always physically track, you know, somebody's racial or ethnic identity, but you can, it's pretty clear. And, but none of these organizations are teaching groups or, you know, programs and schools have bothered to keep demographic information. So they don't even know what the problem is. They don't know how big the problem is. They just feel bad about it and feel like they should be doing something. So it's difficult because this stuff is slow. You know, Mm -hmm. it takes time to change. Again, you have to know what you're dealing with before you can even deal with it. So these listening circles are an attempt to hear from people who have already gone through or are in the process of going through narrative Enneagrams programs to, to even see where some of the problematic areas are. Because anecdotally, they know them. They've been hearing, of course. And let me just tell you, Satoya Foster has done an amazing amount of work in a short period nice. of time and has been like a one, uh, basically a one-woman show trying to, trying to make sure that T&E can make good on their promise and their, what they've been trying to do around certifying more folks. But we have to listen to the people and we have to see what's actually necessary instead of making assumptions and see where the areas of growth really are. And so it does, I think it starts with, with listening. It starts with, I've done these listening circles with other, you know, kinds of things with other movement projects. And so there hasn't been a whole lot of crossover of like Enneagram into movement space. So there's a lot that I, I think I can inform the Enneagram mm-hmm. world with, with the work that I've done in the past. So we shall see <laughs> what, <laughs> what happens, right? Because these boards, if something happens socially, these boards and these leadership, you know, teams say they want to do something different. Yeah. But when it comes down to money, when it comes down to your core, you know, the people who, who you have been serving, who may be like, why are we doing this stuff? Enneagram doesn't have anything to do with race or, you know, Mm-hmm. well what where does your commitment lie you know right. are you actually willing to have some conversations that may be difficult in spiritual kind of you know self-improvement world that doesn't always want to talk about the outside of us as if we again are like blobs like we just float around spiritual and our bodies don't really matter when in fact our bodies are how we experience the world and it deeply matters yes yes our vertical and our horizontal axis in which we live are both extremely important and they are united, you know. So I'm so glad you you shared that. And I applaud what I've seen coming from and out of the narrative so far. You know, I applaud the things. I'd be like, oh, okay. Mm." You know, (laughs) not just 
not just a picture of somebody, a, a person of color in it, you know, right. like an advertisement. Right. But I'm actually seeing some traction and some movement and different things that they're doing and programs and stuff. And some people I know. So I applaud them for that. Yeah. And I applaud you for jumping on board to to like really kind of help steer that and help move that and create real traction for, um, you know, a a, a, a organization that is providing a lot of Enneagram connection to a lot of different people. It's one of the biggest schools, if not the biggest Enneagram school we have. Yeah, and it's the oldest. Um, That's the thing. And the oldest, They need to be doing, they need to be leading the way. Why not just be an innovator, not just be the oldest, be be an innovator, you know? So, and you're, you know, you're doing this with the IEA. And I think you, you know, I don't know if you've talked about it on the podcast because, you know, it's a sensitive situation as a board member, but it's when we get in those positions on boards or in some kind of leadership in organizations, you know, the people are tired. I, like you said, I call my Enneagram way of teaching yes. Enneagram for the people. And so I always want to be there for the people. Like that is my, that's like, if this is not for the people. If this is not for all of us, then it's for none of us. Right. But also then we can't like, there's a lot of pressure on whoever does get, takes up the mantle and becomes a part of it to like, be all the change and it uh, institutional change <laughs> is slow it is you know multi-layered yes and so i i don't i don't know if you have wisdom for the people on this like on that part of it like institutional change is just a different thing and i personally a lot of times i'm like i just want to be in the streets with the people i don't want to do institutional change that gets on my nerves so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you manage to like hold all of those parts inside of yourself. It's people like you. Uh, it's it's people. It's other people who are doing the work in different spaces sometimes. Because if you're the only person in like your institutional space trying to make a change, that's hard as I'll get out. Yeah. But it's it's <laughs> it's it's other people like Dr. Egerton, like being there. Like it's who have the drive, and it's people who even people who are not just you know, BIPOC, you know, it's other people who still care about the humanity of people in general who want to make a change in difference. May not be fully educated on it. I'm not fully educated on it. And the acronyms come out new almost every week. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I, so I'd be like, oh, oh, we don't phrase it like that anymore? Oh, okay. I, all right. Adding that into my right. mental dictionary learn, now. Yeah. New acronym. I will fix that. I'm working uh, on it. Not perfect. And that's okay. So, I think it's the work of uh, a collaborative work of other people that I know who are doing it in other spaces and then trying to do some of that work together. Because I love in the video and hopefully people watch it. I mean, you you challenged, you know, um, Trent, the IEA president to like, hey, what about this? What about this? And he took he was like, OK, I, I appreciate that. And so he took it on. So it's like, OK, we need to really look at this. Yeah. So I absolutely love how you <laughs> um, brought that up and bringing it. So I think that's one of the best ways that I know how to manage it is one, I have to continuously do my own inner work in these spaces and areas for myself, but I also have to make sure I'm collaborative and I'm with people who are also doing it as well. So that, because we see very similar things just across different spaces. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and so being able to have that, I guess, bond Mm -hmm. and have that, that feeling of, I don't know, connectedness. There's another word I'm looking for, and I cannot find it right now, but that's okay. Yeah. But but it, it just gives you the the energy. It renews your energy mm-hmm. to do the work. I would say that. Yeah. Because it can be tiring with everything, you know. 
you 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 know you're trying to accomplish and trying to do for people as a whole and as general. So yeah, I really appreciate that. So I could talk to you for hours, but we're gonna wrap this this show up because I could really talk to you for hours. There's so many different things. So we'll have to have you on again in yeah, the future. I love that. Yes. Most definitely. Um, so how can people find you and what you have coming up? Please share with them. Well, it's pretty easy to find me because I'm the only Mickey Scott Bay Jones that exists. Um, and that's S-C-O-T-T-B-E-Y. Um, I capitalized the B. My family was more science temple Muslim. Another story for another day, but that's how you get the Bay. Um, yes. Like most deaf became Yasin Bay. It's, it's the thing. So Mickey Scott Bay Jones, that's my website. MickeyScottBayJones.com, so easy to find there. I am like stepping out on my own in a lot of ways, so it's not like there. Not everything is connected to my website, so I have a link tree. The best way to find that is probably off of my Instagram. I just started an Enneagram for the people Instagram, but it's Enneagram underscore for the people. But also, just my personal Instagram is where most of my stuff still is, and that is um, Electric underscore Lady underscore msj just weird but you know it's a nice it's awesome well it's it's a janelle monet reference yes um, I, I, that's what i was thinking i was like that's i love it because that album changed my life heather so yeah so anyway i'm all you can just it's i'm literally the only nikki scott Bay jones that exists so you can just find me on any platform if you go if you put me in any platform I'm going to pop up. So, you know, I would love to connect with folks. I do have a YouTube channel now. I have videos of, um, of panels, which are very diverse panels. And also I've never seen a recorded panel with a person of color leading it. So I was like, well, uh, we need some panels with a black woman, a black queer woman, like leading the panel. So those are, some of those are on, on YouTube, but also some other stuff. Uh, I have a compassion meditation from, the mystic summit that I just did that I, I love sharing with people that really pulls on the wisdom of kind of black movement mothers, um, particularly Rosemary Freeney Harding, who's one of my um, mental mentors and somebody that I follow. So, you know, there are just lots of places where I have free stuff out there for people you can reach out to me through my website. Um, I do individual and group coaching and offer workshops and things. So that's so awesome. Please check out everything that Mickey's saying. It'll be in the show notes. Mickey is extremely dynamic and amazing at what she does. So check her stuff out. Contact her if you're um, definitely interested in any of the services. And go watch the different videos she has on her YouTube page. Like, it's moving stuff. Like, for real. It's worth every single, like, second of time Mm. you spend. Seriously. Yes. Yes, yes, Mickey. Yes, yes, yes. It is. Seriously. All right. So I want to thank you all for listening, listening to the episode. Please make sure if you feel triggered or something's going on, kind of do a little curious inquiry, take a deep breath and make a healthier, wiser choice for yourself and the community and do it for the gram, the Enneagram, of course. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye bye.